Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Good afternoon and welcome into White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. You can give the gift of White Sox baseball this holiday season. White Sox holiday packs include ticket vouchers redeemable for 66 great games in 2018 and start at just $29. Each order is shipped with a decorative card and White Sox nutcracker ornament. Visit WhiteSox.com slash holiday packs for more information or to order yours today. Lots to do on the show today. Really, two big things, two really big things that are going to take up the bulk of the show. We've got the review preview series going on. We're in center field and the White Sox are flush with players in center field that could either feature in the big leagues or are really interesting to watch in 2018 down in the minors. So we're going to flesh that out as best and as long as we can. Also, we're going to talk with White Sox minor league manager of the year, Justin Gershley. Justin managed the Kannapolis Intimidators to a finals appearance, lost to Greenville, had some solid players graduate from that team and uh, come into that team. First-round pick Jake Berger, second-round pick Gavin Sheets came into that team after getting drafted. They graduated Dane Dunning and Alec Hansen from that squad, too. So he's seen a lot of the talent the White Sox have been pushing up into the mid-minors We'll talk with Justin a little bit just after the 1230 news. Obviously, the big news in baseball is Shohei Otani signing with the Angels. Good news, bad news on that. It's the Angels. It's not the White Sox. Not that there was, it would have been a long shot, Rickon said. But at the same time, you get to see him a lot if you're a White Sox fan. And that should be fun. You like baseball. It'll be interesting to see how that kind of experiment plays out if Shohei Otani is able to hit and pitch every day as it seems the angels may let him have a shot at doing uh, we get him in spring training as well the angels so you get to see shohei atani pretty early john carlos stanton has reportedly nixed deals or has in fact nixed deals to both the giants and the cardinals so the shopping continues i suppose for Derek jeter and the marlins dodgers could come calling there we'll have to see how things pan out but for our show today, and the GM meetings are on the way, so next week's show we'll, we'll dig into a lot more rumor, I think. But center field is a deep position, and I want to get into that right away so we don't leave too many scraps on the table. White Sox fans, sign up for SoxFest 2018 now to receive a Hawk Harrelson talking bobblehead. The exclusive giveaway item is only available through SoxFest hotel packages, Join us January 26th through January 28th for a weekend of White Sox baseball you won't want to miss. Hotel packages are available now at whitesox.com slash SoxFest. We actually, here at the station, here at WLS, we were just doing some planning for SoxFest 2018. Really looking forward to it, putting together our uh, our schedule of shows and when we're going to be out there broadcasting and saying hi to White Sox fans and everything. Exciting stuff. Looking forward to it. Love it every single season. Really do. And this one's this one's going to very much be a different sort of flavor of Sox Fest, and it's going to be a good one. Looking forward to it very much. Where we're at right now in our review preview series during our offseason is center field. We're going to focus on, as we have all throughout the offseason, that position, what we saw last year, what we're going to see this year. Been looking forward to this position for a little while, but there may be... 
you know, when we dealt with left field, it was primarily the, the Nicky Delmonico show, right? I mean, we, we dealt essentially with Nicky, his rise into the big leagues and eventual, you know, performance there. Center field is much, much different for the White Sox in terms of who may be ready for the major league level, who could be there come the oh, come opening day. And it's much deeper through the minor leagues. So we may, just as fair warning, I, I know a lot of White Sox fans have you know some deeper prospects like a, like an Alex Call or maybe even a Luis Alexander Basabe. You know, you've, you've got some want, you've got some care for those guys down in the lower minors. And I do too, uh, but in terms of, of dealing with the top-heavy stuff first, it's possible we may not get to a, each and every center fielder in this show. We've only got an hour uh, and I'm, I'm wasting time explaining it, I suppose. Uh, but we may shift a couple of guys who play a little bit of center field into right field just so we can evenly spread things around. I didn't think that was fair uh, with left when some of these guys haven't played a whole lot of left but have played a little bit of right. There's a little bit of a log jam in the White Sox outfield down in the minor league levels. That's a good thing when you've got that kind of talent there, uh, but we're trying to navigate through it the best we can. So we start with the major league level, of course. And last season in center field for the White Sox saw a mix of players. In case you forgot, the opening day starter was Jacob May. Jacob obviously struggled to begin the season, went a couple of weeks still looking for his first big league hit and was shortly sent out of the major leagues and back down to AAA. Adam Engel logged the most time in center field, 799 innings played there. Lurie Garcia was really the beneficiary of some playing time after Jacob May had been um, sent back to AAA. Garcia played, obviously, a number of different positions, a couple outfield spots, a little bit of infield. And center field, uh, production-wise, probably had the best bat, definitely had the best bat for the White Sox in the season. But injuries held up Lurie for a little bit this year, too. Willie Garcia played 84 and two-thirds innings. Uh, Jacob May, as I mentioned, played 80 innings in center field. And Alan Hansen, who was... uh, given up by the team he was not put on the 40-man roster Alan Hansen played 52 innings in center field let's start with Jacob May and Adam Engel two different reasons here although similar players I think in terms of production Jacob though he began the season as the opening day starter and had a really good spring and and showed you you know as a guy who had bided his time in the minor leagues and Always been a pretty good fielder, had a good reputation for defense if the bat came along. You know, you could see perhaps a major league starter there. Showed you a good spring training and was overmatched at the major league level. And certainly when you go through a prolonged struggle like that, like Jacob did, things tend to eat at you a little bit. I don't know that we necessarily saw Jacob's best out there given the struggles that he faced between the lines. I think he'll get another crack. I don't know that Jacob May is is completely written off. Certainly the White Sox have the luxury in center field as the roster stands right now to give playing time out to really anybody. They're looking to see prove themselves, and Jacob May would probably check that box. As for Engel, who played the most time out of anybody in center field for the White Sox in 2017, Engel proved himself defensively. The guy can go get it. He's probably not the toppest of the top tier in center field. Is he Byron Buxton? 
Probably not quite. But the wheels are there, the ball skills are there, and the guy makes stellar reads. He might not have the top tier secured alone by himself, but his head's bumping up against it defensively. Offensively, it was a struggle for Adam. A lot of different batting stances, a lot of different hand heights. He, in AAA, as he kind of came back and readjusted himself after you know some struggles down there in AAA, for about two and a half, three weeks before his call-up to the big leagues, he had adjusted his hands yet again, brought him up a little bit higher, wanted to, in, in his words, cover the fastball a little bit better and be ready to rock his hands, he says, kind of naturally drop in his swing anyway. So starting them higher gives him a bit of a more ability to, to cover uh, more of the plate perhaps. But we saw him overmatched by breaking balls, uh, fastballs. He did have the bat speed to cover and was able to pull a triple or two down the left field line with the wheels that he's got. So, you know, you did see a little bit of ability there. thing about Engel is... The way the rest of the White Sox outfield may shake out with Avisel Garcia in right field and certainly having a much better defensive season uh, than than ever before and, and left field still kind of a toss-up, I suppose, when you start the season. And a young pitching staff, the way the White Sox figure to be with Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez and perhaps Carson Fulmer and perhaps Michael Kopech at some point, Having a center fielder who can go track him down, even if he's not got the bat necessarily to to cover up for for some of his sins, he can really play out there and benefit you in, in ways that might not be obvious in in every sense. I'm saying that development, I'm saying that trust, I'm saying that confidence can kind of grow some if you've got a guy like Adam Engel out in center field that can make up for some mistakes by a pitcher, by a, a fastball that's maybe got too much to the plate. Should that be the only factor deciding playing time? No, of course not. But if Adam Engel does indeed secure more playing time than perhaps uh, you might imagine going into you know this offseason maybe, I would think that would be a primary reason why. We'll take a quick break from center field here, put a pause on it. News is next. Sox fans, it's never too early to lock in a 2018 ticket package. Full and partial ticket plans are available, including a lower-level 10-game plan starting at $230. Take advantage of great benefits like discounted pricing and flexible payment plans. For more information, call 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Your bottom-of-the-hour update is just minutes away on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We were smack dab in the middle of our review preview series here in the offseason. Going through each position, we're in center field. And we had just wrapped up with, uh, well, we had just wrapped up talking about Jacob May and Adam Engel, the two guys who uh, started the season in Jacob and played the most in center field. That means next up, Lurie Garcia. Lurie Garcia figures to be the other guy there. And Lurie was, at least at the start of the season in center field, on perhaps the opposite end of the spectrum defensively from Adam Engel. Credit to Lurie. He worked hard to improve himself defensively. And I think he got much better uh, still kind of, you know, a question uh, hitting cutoff men and, and making sure you're throwing to the right base, not trying to be a hero with the arm out there. And he does have a pretty good arm coming up as a as a shortstop in the Texas Rangers organization. You figure Lurie 
you know, because we saw Ricky Renteria move some players around. I, I think the idea of, you know, a true super utility guy is interesting to him, interesting to me too. And with Yolmer Sanchez perhaps being your opening day third baseman or perhaps another super utility type guy, maybe there is some flexibility there to the lineup and maybe Lurie doesn't see all that much time in center field after all. That said, offensively, Lurie Garcia, I mean, that was your bright spot. The guy hit incredibly well, better than he has better than he has really at any stretch in his major league time for sure. And remember, he suffered a wrist injury late in the season. So he goes from, you know, April and May and into June on a good roll, doesn't play but two games in July, and that's the thirtieth and the thirty first. And August was you know, kind of a struggle for him and back on the disabled list in September and, and shut down for the rest of the year. From April all the way to June 15th, his longest stretch of, you know, really consistent games, uh, 56 games for the White Sox, 49 starts for Lurie Garcia in that stretch, a 289 batting average, a 338 on base, and a 450 slugging percentage. He hit six home runs in, call it 200 plate appearances, 198. Some good pop. The strikeouts were down, and the batting average was, you know, a, a runnable thing for him. He's got speed to make up for some infield mistakes, or at least take advantage of them. I'm really excited to see what Lurie Garcia is able to do with a full, healthy season. It might just be that, you know, the, the breakout of Avi Garcia, you know, his um, all-star season and rising to the level of of prospect hype that had followed him to Chicago after the trade. Lurie Garcia might himself be a guy who is able to rise to some shine there. I remember being told uh, by a couple people who were around the club at the time of of that deal, Alex Rios to the Texas Rangers, that Lurie was kind of a guy that the Rangers had to give up because of where he was at in that system. But some of those scouts understood that, boy, boy, he could click. And we might look, the Rangers, that is, look real stupid for having given up on him. So, he carries some of that shine with him. Now, there's two other guys who fit in to the discussion here and, and may just be opening day type guys, depending on health, first and foremost, and perhaps how spring goes. That's Charlie Tilson and Ryan Cordell, both acquired by the White Sox in the last you know year, year and a half or so. Tilson uh, was acquired from the Cardinals, and you White Sox fans will remember, obviously ripped his hamstring up real good in his first game in Detroit. Tilson saw him in the Arizona Fall League, had a real good stretch for about two weeks toward the end of the Fall League after he was activated upon the roster, took him a handful of bats to, to feel live pitching again, but Charlie has completely, and you can listen to the interview if, if you like, go back through the podcast at wlsam.com slash White Sox. Charlie has reworked his diet. He's reworked his body. He's going back to ground, back to, to square one, I guess, all in hopes that he can avoid the, the add-on type of injuries that unfortunately follow such a severe hamstring injury like the ones he suffered with the last year. Tilson is a guy who puts bat on ball really well. He carries a, a higher on base than you might think. He's not exactly Juan Pierre. The guy will take his walks, doesn't have a whole lot of pop, and prior to the injury had a lot of speed and good range. Charlie's very much a will-see in terms of what he's able to do. Health is paramount 
for Charlie Tilson, and it is for Ryan Cordell, too. Cordell was the prospect picked up from the Brewers in the Anthony Swarzak deal. Cordell had been out a month when the White Sox picked him up, and it was hoped that Cordell was going to be able to get back into action perhaps by the end of the season. That turned out to not be the case, so when we get to spring training, it'll be, if I'm doing the math right, about eight months for Cordell without any kind of baseball. He's got some pop in AAA in the 2017 season. Obviously, this is before with the Brewers, before he was traded over to the White Sox. 284, 349, 506. That's a 118 weighted runs created, 83 total games. He's played some center. He's played some right. He's played a little left. He's played a little third base. With as much as we know Ricky Renneria and, and really Major League Baseball loves utility out of players, especially defensively. Be interesting to see if Ryan Cordell, again, assuming he's healthy, gets some looks in spring training. I imagine he will. And between Engel, Lurie Garcia, Charlie Tilson, Ryan Cordell, you could have four guys looking to make some noise in that outfield and, and perhaps all of them capable in center field. In terms of defensive range, Cordell's probably on the bottom of those four Lurie Garcia being your average guy and Engel, your top guy. Tilson, you know, right around average to above average. And again, all I can do is assume that he's got something close to the range and speed that he had before he was hurt. And hopefully for the White Sox and for Charlie, that is the case. Now, we're leaving out one guy here. Um, Actually, we're going to have to leave out a few, I think. But we'll pick a few of them up in right field, too. Um, Luis Alexander Basabe is probably the guy that we're leaving out the most, but we'll pick him up next week. Alex Call as well. Blake Rutherford has played left and right and center. We'll get him next week, too. Luis Robert, though, deserves mention in the center field review preview segment of White Sox Weekly here. Luis Robert is everything, right? I mean, he was the prospect signed and promised at 19 years old. He's going to come in and play his first organized baseball in the States coming this coming season. Where he gets assigned is going to be a subject of a lot of conversation throughout spring, I would imagine. And it's possible that he could get a pretty aggressive assignment, maybe as high as double A, I, I think that would be incredibly aggressive, but I suppose possible. More likely he's in A ball, and it, even if he does end up in Kannapolis, that would be completely understandable for a 19-year-old kid. In the Dominican Summer League, at age 19, where he played 28 games after signing with the White Sox, he hit 310, he had an on-base of 491, he slugged 536. He, he ruined things. He absolutely destroyed pitching in the Dominican Summer League. And he was, you know, quite frankly, supposed to. One of the best athletes, perhaps, to come in out of this whole, you know, last three or four years from Cuba. I mean, Yasiel Puig is remarkable in his own right. And Luis Robert is younger than Puig was when he came out. So it'll be interesting to see the development physically from Luis Robert and whether he's able to stay in center field. At 19, it said like he runs like the wind. 12 stolen bases in those 28 games in the Dominican Summer League. Three home runs, eight doubles, 23 strikeouts. He's got everything you'd ask for, but, and and without getting too hype about Luis, I think it's fair to say this, and it's, and it's what Baseball Prospectus said, and it's what uh, I think Baseball America said the same thing. We're going to put him in the top 10 of the White Sox prospects, but 
quite frankly, without having seen him enough, and and the ball that we've been able to see him play is just the White Sox. It's a different story that that you and I and, and independent scouting organizations like BP or BA just haven't been able to put the kind of eye on him that they'd like. It's possible that he shoots up the rankings as a prospect, and it's possible he stays, you know, right about where the um, the the mystery has him at. Centerfield's an interesting position for the White Sox in 2018, and unfortunately, at least for the show, it's a lot of we'll see. But there are a number of players that should be fun to watch figure things out come spring training. Some of those players could be in low A Canapolis, like we mentioned, possibly Luis Robert could be there. And right after the 1230 news, we're going to talk to the manager of the Canapolis Intimidators, Justin Jersley. He was named the White Sox Minor League Coach of the Year. He's the youngest manager in professional baseball. We just talked about two weeks ago to Matt Zaleski, his pitching coach in Canapolis. They saw Dane Dunning. They saw Alec Hansen. Had a heck of a ride, too. Played all the way into the finals. Good interview with Justin Jersley coming up next. But Sox fans, it's never too early to lock in a 2018 ticket package Full and partial ticket plans are available, including a lower-level 10-game plan starting at $230. Take advantage of great benefits like discounted pricing and flexible payment plans. For more information, call 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com. News is next. More White Sox Weekly on the way. I'm Connor McKnight. This is WLS AM 890. The tools you need to face the day, like traffic, so you know where you're going on time. WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. If you've ever dreamt of being a White Sox player, now's your chance. You can attend the 2018 Chicago White Sox Fantasy Camp at Camelback Ranch Glendale, January 14th through the 20th and be treated like a pro. For more information or to reserve your roster spot, call 623-302-5078 or sign up at whitesox.com. We're going to wrap things up here. This is our last segment of White Sox Week, a little bit of a different formatted show because just the other day I had a chance to have a good conversation with White Sox minor league manager Justin Jershley. Wanted to bring that to you right here. I'm joined by the White Sox minor league coach of the year, Justin Jershley, managed the Canapolis Intimidators all the way to a finals appearance in low A ball. Justin, good to have you with us. Really appreciate the time. How are you? I'm very good. Very good today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I wanted to talk uh, for a while during the season. I, uh, we talked with a number of uh, of your players, both former and guys who graduated throughout the year on the show, guys like Dane Dunning and guys like Jake Berger. But now that we've had a chance to talk with you, the youngest manager in Major League Baseball, professional baseball, which I'm sure is a, I don't know, is that a title that you're that you're ready to kind of give up? Is that a title that you're ready to just let, have the resume speak for itself? <laughs> um, you know, I really don't think about it a whole lot, to be honest with you, um, other than when I get asked about it. Um, you know, each and every day I get up, and I know I have a job to do when I get to the ballpark, and um, I'm more focused on that than, you know, what my age is or or what people say about my age or what they think about my, my job title and whatnot. Um, you know, so I don't think about it a whole lot. Just get up each and every day and, and know I have a job to do. I just feel like you being there, it's got to be really tough on your players in that all the jokes about their manager being an old man, they, they're gone. They don't have those anymore. They can't go to those, you know, get you a walker or anything like that for your birthday because you're, you know, basically 28th going to be this season. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it probably does help uh, get rid of those jokes, but maybe some of the other ones about me not being good enough to keep playing as a young <laughs> as a young guy, uh, maybe those start to trickle in too. <laughs> sure, sure. Not that they'll sting at all. Those don't. Yeah, you, know, you just let those go, and and then you make them run foul poles or something. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about the the roster that you had last season. Um, the number of different rosters that you had. I have to imagine going into that year and and how the White Sox at the major league level were kind of revamping the whole system, you had to know that perhaps this year the mix might be even different than, than years you played or, or years typical to to that level of minor league baseball. Did you factor that into your approach at all? Um, you know, a little bit. I think coming into it uh, when we broke spring training, we knew, you know, what our pitching staff looked like, and obviously that was going to be, you know, on paper um, one of the best in the league mm-hmm. we, we, we felt like, and, um, obviously, it turned out to be that way, um, you know, with Dunning and Hanson and Lambert and, and all those guys, um, you know. But I think I think the biggest thing was, you know, they they came in with with their mindset that they were going to get their work in each and every day, and and they got themselves better as well, along with uh, Matt Zaleski, our pitching coach, um, in Canapolis. And um, you know, it was just fun. It was fun to see those guys grow in the in the short amount of time that they were with us, and and go ahead and and continue their careers on in, in Winston Salem for us. I uh, got to spend a little time with Matt Zaleski at the Arizona Fall League about a month and a half, two months ago, something like that, and you know, drilled him for as many player comps as he'd willing to give me on Dane Dunning and Alec Hansen. Uh, I'm sure coaches love doing that. What struck you most about those two young men, especially as, as both of them seem ready to jump through a couple of leagues? You know, I think just their resiliency. Um, every time, you know, every five days, those guys would get the ball and, and go out there and and it was, um, you know, here I am, here I come, I'm coming right at you, what do you got for me? You know, it was, um, you just felt confident each and every day when they'd go out there, um, not only in their abilities, but, you know, just their mindset and, and the, the mantra they would give off, you know, to the rest of the guys on the field between the lines with them um, each and every night. You know, just the, hey, we got a great chance to win tonight, we're, we're going to go out and compete compete our butts off uh, for nine innings and, and let the chips fall where they may, and I think that that kind of uh, rubbed off on the rest of the guys, and including us. And, um, you know, we, we had a lot of fun. How much did you change? Um, I don't know. if uh, That's a tough question. I don't know if I would say I changed at all. Um, I think probably definitely grew. Obviously learned a lot. You know, just asked a lot of questions. You know, when I came in to coaching three years ago as a hitting guy, you know, um, my dad told me to make sure you ask questions and, and just keep learning. You're going to learn something every single day. And, um, you know, I kind of I, I ran with that a little bit, and and I just ask a lot of questions. You know, I'll always ask why. You know, I'm sitting there with Matt Zaleski on the bench last year, and he'd say certain things about pitching, and I'd say why. You know, and, and not to be, you know, cocky or anything like that. I'd just say I, I want to know. Why? Why? What do you think in there? What, what's your What's your thought process on this? And, and that helps me learn and ultimately grow grow into my career as well it's strange it, it sounds like you know you have to have kind of a no ego mindset to ask those kind of questions and to answer those but baseball is such an ego sport you know talking to guys who it's all about their confidence and if they believe they can it, it's almost more likely that they will is that a tough balance for you to find when you're on the bench is that a tough balance for you to help guys find when they're playing yeah i think so you know it's a you know, especially on the offensive side of things, it's a it's a failure game. You know, I mean, you get to the top level in the major leagues and you fail you fail seven out of ten times and you're a Hall of Famer. Yeah. You know, I, there's not a whole lot of things in life where you can fail seven out of ten times at your job 
and and you're one of the best. Um, so you know it's just balancing that. Um, you know, along with having fun each and every day because because of the mental and physical grind that it is. Um, it's balancing the failure and and you know trusting all the work that you put in each and every day and um, just trying to build like you said as much as that confidence as we can in these guys and um, and you just hope the absolute best for each and every one of them. Talk with Justin Jersley, manager of the Canapolis Intimidators. Uh, I I wonder too. You've got an incredible support system in your family. Your dad's got a ring. Your brother's a coach. You all played baseball growing up. What's it like to have the sounding boards that you've got in your professional life? It helps. You know, it, it really does. It's um, you know lulls in, in the winter time. You know, like like we're going through right now with the temperatures hitting getting down in the 20s and, mm-hmm. and things are starting to get bitterly cold out there. Um, you know, you can, you can send a text just like that or, or a phone call or, you know, any weekends that you're with the family, you're talking baseball. And, and that kind of helps warm your body up a little bit and um, warm the mind up a little bit. And, um, you know, these, these lulls you go through in the off season are, are shortened um, just by, you know, having a casual conversation with, with a family member about baseball. So, Throughout the course of the year, if you're a player, you've got certain boxes that you want to check given to you by the organization, right? You want to be better with two strikes or make sure the two-seamer down and away works. There are, you know, kind of fence posts along the way to check your progression. Is there anything similar with with being a manager? How do you, I guess, evaluate yourself and how does the organization uh, help evaluate you and, and make you better at your job? Because at the end of the day, that's that's what everybody in the White Sox organization is trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think first and foremost, you know, it's communication. Communication for me um, to, you know, everybody that's above me, um, you know, and we're in constant communication and, and you know, daily about certain things, whether it's players on or off the field, um, you know, coaches, whatever whatever it may be, Just just the communication side of things is, is extremely, extremely important. Well, you know, obviously we're with these players every single day and um, not everybody else is. So, you know, the communication is big. And, and like I said, just, just getting these guys better each and every day and, um, you know, getting their early work in, making sure, making sure you give them the, the best opportunity possible to, to get better and, and maximize their potential um, to ultimately, you know, make, have them climb the ladder and get to the big leagues. How do you like to have just in the conversation, you know, between you and your coaches about getting your players better? Because, you know, like we talked about and like you just mentioned that the organization has goals for these guys, whether it's, you know, Jake Berger, I don't know, somehow striking out less or Gavin Sheets hitting for more power or Blake Rutherford getting a little pop in the stroke. You know, they've got those little little goals, but you obviously have to go out there and, and win games from day to day. I know those two things aren't necessarily opposed to each other, but you do, I mean, I suppose it is your job and your coach's job to make those things meet more often than not, yeah? No doubt, no doubt. Obviously, first and foremost, it's, it's the developmental side of things um, comes first. You know, we're looking to get, like I said, these guys better each and every single day. Um, you know, we'll have conversations late into the night after games about, you know, somebody's swing or, you know, somebody's approach, whatever it may be, and, and just kind of go over what we're going to talk about the next day with with that that set individual or um, you know, as a, as a group to the team. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, you're hoping that, you know, those little conversations and, and the work you put in at two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon gets those guys, each and every one of them better for the 7.05 when the lights turn on in between the lines. And now you put yourself in a better situation to win a game. 
Um, and, and like you said, ultimately that, that then develops, you know, the winning side of things go hand in hand with the de- developmental side of things. When you get guys into the roster like Jake Berger or Gavin Sheets, both drafted or even, you know, a guy like Blake Rutherford or Dylan Cease who come in fresh from a different organization, are there things you want to let them know first? Like how does, is there a, orientation is probably a, a dumb way to put it, but are there a couple of things that you like to have new players know in your clubhouse, this is how things work in this organization, this is what we're trying to do first? Yeah, just, you know, obviously we had a lot of experience with that this year with, with some of the new guys coming in and, and you know, being younger guys. And, um, you know, the first things first, I want them to sit down in my office um, right away when they get there before they even get into the into the clubhouse and just talk about things, you know, talk about um, their life and, you know, their their past 24 hours because, I mean, realistically, their their lives have changed, you know, and within the last 12 hours, um, you know, with relationships and everything that they had with their past organization, you know, they're starting from, from square one. So it's the biggest thing for me is just trying to make the transition for them as easy as we possibly can. Um, you know, it's never obviously going to be easy, but, um, you know, just trying to get them as comfortable as they can be as soon as we can. Um, and, and that's, you know, the difficult task of it because, like I said, they're coming into a, a clubhouse with 24 other brand-new guys that they've never met before, you know, and then three more coaches and, and a trainer and strength coach. I mean, they're they're in a different world. So, you know, just trying to get them comfortable um, and letting them know that, you know, we're here for them for whatever they may need on or off the field, and, and we're going to help them out. You know, they're they're part of the family now. How do you think everybody blended as the as the days kind of wore on and you guys made your push into the playoffs? I, I know a, a loss in that finals has to be kind of a little bit of a bitter taste, but at the same time, you guys did something pretty impressive on the way there. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. We we were fortunate enough to get to the finals there, and um, you know, came up a little short, but uh, you know, keeps keeps everybody hungry. And um, ultimately, looking back on it, it was a successful year. I thought, you know, for for some of the individuals and and obviously as a team. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was surprising, honestly, with how, how well these guys meshed, um, with the transactions we had, you know, after all the trades we made and everything up top, um, with how, how close these guys got in such a short amount of period of time. Um, I was, I was extremely impressed and, and, and that also helped me find out, you know, that we, we probably had something special in that clubhouse and, and had a chance to, to make a run at it. And, and ultimately we did make a run. Justin, I wonder, you know, I know you just finished your first year as as a manager. You've been in the White Sox organization for a handful. But, you know, at what point do you feel comfortable enough to go up to Rick Hahn's office in Phoenix and demand that Luis Robert be thrown onto the Intimidators to start the season? I have to imagine that would be some kind of fun for you. <laughs> I don't know if I'd ever feel comfortable enough to do that. <laughs> well, the, well, the having the player, maybe not the, you know, demanding that he be put on your team, maybe that's not so no much doubt. the fun. No doubt. You know, obviously, um, you know, whatever whatever roster they send us or, you know, we, we, we are given, um, you know, at the end of spring training there, we're going to go out and we're going to do our best with each and every one of them um, to get them better and, and hope that they can continue to climb the ladder in our organization. And ultimately, like I said earlier, you know, help us at the big league level. Um, but, you know, you don't worry too much about, you know, who's on your team, who's who's not on your team, who skipped you or, or anything like that. You know, a lot of that stuff's out of your hands and out of your control. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we got jobs to do each and every day, and we're going to take the task at hand, which is the 25 guys we got in that clubhouse. I, I know it's got to be, you know, managers are almost, almost all of them kind of obsessive uh, about their lineups, about their team. I'm sure you're almost always thinking baseball. 
it's got to be somewhat difficult for you not knowing what your roster is going to look like until pretty late in that season or, or even in the spring training versus, you know, trying to hold yourself back and not think about who may or may not be there. As in, after having a season, are you finding a, a, a good balance in, in thinking about what you might have, what you might not have? Yeah, for sure. I think I think I'd be lying if I said I sat here and and thought about what our team might look like next year. Um, you know, with with also knowing that it probably won't look the way I have it envisioned in my mind mm-hmm. or, or close to it. Um, you know, but again, that's out of my control for the most part. And um, you know, what, whatever we're given, we're going to make the best lineup out of it and the best starting rotation out of it. And we're gonna we're gonna go. We're gonna compete every single night, and um, the rest will take care of itself. If you've got 20 free minutes in a day, and even if you're always looking to fill those 20 minutes, what's what's Justin Jersley's time waster? How do you how do you spend a couple of minutes getting away from the game if you just need to take a break for a second during the season? Yeah, um, I'd have to say probably watching the Outdoor Channel, watching some hunting. Oh yeah, all right. Kind of kind of clear the mind a little bit. Bow or <laughs> uh, or rifle? Either either one. Whatever's on that Outdoor Channel, whether it's bird hunting. Um, you know, gun hunting, bow hunting, whatever it may be, long rifle hunting, I'll watch it. I, I should expect that from a Clintonville guy. Willing to do whatever it takes to get out there into a deer stand or something. That's right. That's yeah. right. No, I hear it. So so off season then, um hunting, outdoors kind of thing. I know you're still you're you're up in Wisconsin where your family is from. Yep, no doubt. We're in Madison and um, you know, gun hunting just ended the nine day gun season we had and um you know, got to bow hunt a little bit before that and um, probably hopefully get out and, and do some bird hunting here with, with the puppy and um, one of my one of my cousins. Um, and then after that, it's ice fishing time once the ice gets thick enough. Oh, you're that kind of crazy, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like Ooh. the outdoors. I like to get out there and enjoy it and, and you know, shoot shoot some animals or, or catch some fish for sure. Are you training? You, well, you have to. Are, are you training a dog? Did I miss that? Are you training a dog to hunt right now? I am. Yeah, we got. Uh, we just bought a. My wife and I just bought a puppy this fall, uh, German short-haired pointer. What's more difficult, the dog or a 19-year-old low-A kid? Definitely the dog, because <laughs> the dog can't talk back. I have no idea what that dog's thinking 95% of the time. <laughs> Speaking of communication, as it were, I've talked to Ricky Renneria a little bit about this. A lot, actually, about this. I'm kind of fascinated by the whole dynamic of of doing your job in two different languages at all time. How's how's your Spanish, and how is the Spanish on on the rest of your coaching staff? And how do you find yourself kind of mixing with guys who who don't who, who don't have English as as grasped well as others? Yeah, um, my my Spanish isn't great. You know, I I know a few words here and there. I can pick out you know what for the most part what guys are talking about. You know, whether it's on the bus or in the clubhouse or whatever. But um, you know, every every team I've been with, whether it's playing or coaching, has always had. You know, bilingual uh, bilingual kid that you know you can talk to and 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 kind of communicate through him mm-hmm. um, to some of the other Latin kids that that don't quite know enough English to understand you. Um, so we're fortunate enough to have those those guys, um, and that's how I really communicate and you know make sure that those guys know that you know they're they're not separate or, or not 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 equal with us just because they can't understand what we're saying. You know, we 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 do a good job of keeping them involved and. And having conversations through the through the translator and 
Um, we joke around and, and stuff like that and have just as much fun with those guys as we do anybody else. Well, Justin, really appreciate you having a couple of minutes for us. Uh, enjoy the hunting, the off season, and we will see you in Glendale sooner rather than later. This sounds great. Thanks a lot for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much. That does it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much for listening. If you missed anything, head over to WLSAM.com slash White Sox. That's where all our shows are podcast. If you hopped in in the middle of that Justin Jershley interview, you can go listen to the whole thing. If you're looking for just the right gift for that young ball player in your life, the Bull Sox Youth Academy is hosting holiday baseball and basketball camps for boys and girls ages 5 to 14. Combination sport camps are available in multiple locations. Come join the fun this holiday season. Call 630-PLAY-BALL or visit BullsSoxAcademy.com for more information. Thanks so much for listening. The center field review preview was a good one, and I know if you're into the White Sox prospects like you should be, there's a couple of guys you want to hear about. We're going to shift some of them, Blake Rutherford, Luis Alexander Basabe, into right field. That'll be next week. Of course, any news pops up or something like that at the GM meetings and you know White Sox Weekly will be your place to hear about it. So we may have to bump right field down the line. But otherwise, you can expect next Sunday a lot of conversation about Avi Garcia's all-star season, a lot about uber prospect Aloy Jimenez, and a little bit about Blake Rutherford and Luis Alexander Basabe and a couple other right fielders in the White Sox stable of prospects. But that does it for us this afternoon. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week on White Sox Weekly. This is WLS AM 890.